0: Fair Food Forager. Changing the way the world eats by making ethical easy. That
1: sounds like a very good idea. Fair Food Forager. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Fair Food Forager and Friends show. Wow, episode 12, I can't believe it. In this episode, I talk to Ellen Sandal, who for the past six years has represented the electorate of Melbourne in the Parliament of Victoria for the Australian Greens, and is also the deputy leader of the party. In this podcast, we talk about Ellen's love of the environment and her belief in politics as being a significant path to change, her journey into winning the seat of Melbourne and her love of forests, sustainability, and getting a better deal for the climate. This podcast is brought to you by the Fair Food Forager app. Download it today and find and support sustainable food venues around the world. And it also has its own social feed. Register and start checking the public tab to see what other users are posting. Ask questions, share ideas, recipes, solutions and good vibes. As we all help each other to live more sustainable lives, it's a feel-good space check it out. I know you'll love it. Here with Ellen
0: Sandal, who's the Greens member for Melbourne and the deputy leader of the Victorian Green Party. So how are you?
2: I'm well. I'm a bit cold down here in Melbourne, but I'm doing well.
0: That is Melbourne though, isn't it? Always a little bit predictable. How long have you been uh, the member for Melbourne then with the Greens?
2: So just over five years now. So I was first elected at the end of 2014, so nearly six
0: years. So you were elected and then re-elected.
2: Yeah, that's right. This is my second term. So I was the first Green elected in the lower house in Victoria for the seat of Melbourne and now we've got three in the lower house, which is good, and it's... Feels like five years. It feels like five minutes and fifty years, all at the same time. It's been a pretty busy five years. We've got a lot of good things done, though.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it wouldn't be the most relaxing position to hold.
2: That's right, especially when you've got two kids. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, so that definitely keeps me on my toes and definitely gives me a new perspective on politics,
0: for sure. Because you you are quite young, which is a great thing, I think, for for politics.
2: I think so. I was elected, i just turned 30 when I was elected, uh, so not super young, but I think I was the second youngest in there at the time. And it, I definitely noticed when I was elected that it was a lot of grey-haired white men in suits and even just having greens in there was something that was really foreign to them. They were so used to just having the two-party system and it's definitely not set up for anyone to come in and disrupt that. But things have changed even over the last five years. I was the first woman to have a baby in Parliament in, like, a very long time. I was the first – well, there had been a few, but um, they were pretty few and far between. Um, I was the first to breastfeed in the Parliament uh, since Kirsty Marsh got, got kicked out for doing it sensationally fifteen more than 15 years ago. And so definitely things are changing. Now there's been quite a few woman, women in the last couple of years who've had babies, there's a lot more younger people in there and I think we're seeing that in some of the progressive policies that Victoria is able to champion as well.
0: Mm. It seems to be a bit of a, a global thing too, doesn't it, with with younger people starting to get into politics in Europe and, and of course, New Zealand's Prime Minister. Let's hope that's a thing. I think
2: so. Politics is hopefully starting to move with the times, but you can never guarantee that that march for progress is going to go forward. Often it goes two steps forward, one step back, and we are seeing the rise of, of the far right, for example, and the, the fossil fuel industry kicking back and, and, and um, you know, they're not very happy and so they kind of rear their head. Once there starts to be a bit of progress, you you get those entrenched vested interests rearing up. But I think in Victoria we're doing well and part of that has been due to the Greens' influence in there and and pushing the Labor government in the right direction and a bit of generational change in the Labor Party as well. It's not perfect, but I think that we're doing well in Victoria compared to a lot of places.
0: Hmm. I think I've always found... Victoria and, and Melbourne in particular to be a little bit more sustainably minded or they're a bit there's a bit more of an environmental and arts focus in Victoria I find in comparison to to where I am in New South Wales here it seems to be more about mm. sport maybe and you know mm. mining all that sort of well,
2: stuff well we sure loves our sport as well so don't yeah. get me wrong there's a lot of AFL fever down here and but I think you're right. We've got this incredible creative community here in Melbourne and I think that leads to a lot of new thinking and progressive thinking and a lot of that is people starting to really care about their impact on the planet and their impact on their environment and how we might be able to lessen that. And there's been a lot of concern lately for, for climate change. The summers bushfires South Wales but also Victoria was very heavily impacted And that really got a lot of people thinking about our impact on our environment and our world. And also, there's been other things that have made people realise their impact. So, just seeing the amount of plastic that's going into our oceans, for example, people have been very concerned about that over the last few years. And we were able to get win win our campaign in Parliament for a ban on plastic bags in Victoria, for example, and for a a cash for can scheme. There were things that the Greens were able to get introduced in Victoria and we were actually the last out of all the states to do those things, so we're not always at the forefront of progress in Victoria, unfortunately.
0: Mm. And do you think because, like I had um, Senator Peter Wish wilson on this podcast as well, and and one of the things that we talked about was because there is this change, and and we had these the summer of of bushfires, you know, pretty much around the whole country. There's definitely, a, I feel like there's a mood for change in the community in general. And some of these, this the old money of fossil fuel industries probably know that the writing is on the wall and their their days are numbered. So while they've got a uh, a right wing government in power in Australia, they're probably using that as their last kind of ditch attempt to wring the last few drops out of that old that old industry. Do you think that's mm. what's happening?
2: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that analysis that things are moving in the right direction and people are becoming a lot more aware, particularly people's concern about climate change was off the charts. It was higher than it had ever been and governments have to listen to that. But of course, you've got these vested interests who are—they're tied to the fossil fuel industry, and they will lose financially if we do act on climate change. And therefore, they dig their heels in, and they go to their mates in the, the Conservative Party, or well, in both major parties, actually, are, are quite wedded to the fossil fuel industry. And the fossil fuel industry knocks on their door and says, "Come on, we need a bit of special treatment because we're starting to lose money." And so we need governments who are willing to stand up to them like governments have with coronavirus, they've listened to the scientists and they've stood up to vested interests and they've said, yes, um, we have to do something about this. There's there's no choice not to. And Mm. they've explained that to the public and what the consequence would be if we didn't act. And that leadership has been lacking on climate. We've had good leadership in Victoria, both from our Premier, Daniel Andrews and Scott Morrison, on coronavirus. But where is that leadership on climate change? Here in Victoria... Even though we are quite a progressive state and Dan Andrews has done some really good things, we're still investing in the gas industry. We're still putting public money into coal and fossil fuels. Dan Andrews even opened up a lot of our ocean and our farmland to gas drilling just at the start in in March when the coronavirus was about to hit. They were able to find time to open up our state to gas drilling again. So there's still some very powerful interests who... Have the ear of governments of both colours, and that's part of the reason why I'm in politics. It's the reason I got involved in the first place was to try and temper that vested interest and have a voice in there that represents people who listen to the scientists and who want to do the right thing on climate change.
0: You were in the Australian Youth Climate Coalition. Is, is that what it's called? Yes. So I'd like to. I'd like to come back to that, but like you raised some good points there. One is, like you said, the the politicians seem willing to listen to the science on coronavirus and a and need to act because of a, a global pandemic, but then at the same time ignore the science on climate change and not do anything about global climate change. Also still finding the time to approve things when you're supposedly really busy with this global pandemic. You know, that the, the federal government's commission for COVID-19 with uh, the ex-head of Fortescue Metals as the the chief being paid with taxpayers' money to advise that Australia needs gas mining. And in, in New South Wales, the, the New South Wales government approved an extension of coal mining underneath the water catchment for Sydney and the Illawarra's water mm. and and coal and gas expansion. And it just seems like, you know, obviously in a, from a climate point of view, this isn't the right time to be doing those things. But when there's a global pandemic on and people are working from home and losing their jobs, and it just seems nuts that they still have the time to expand things that are not really in the country or the planet's best interests.
2: Mm, and how transparently the gas industry and the fossil fuel industry to swoop in and say oh now we need money now we need approvals to further mine for gas for coal mm. i can't believe that that people don't see just right through that i think most people do actually they just see right through that and say, this is them just using a crisis to enrich themselves and their big business mates and it's not on and i think after the summer's bushfires people know that Mm. And they want to rebuild our economy to, a, to something that's better, to something that's healthier, something that's cleaner, something that doesn't hurt us, our health and the planet's health. And I'm hoping that those dinosaurs in the fossil fuel industry don't get everything they want, but unfortunately they mm. are still giving these donations to the major parties. They still have the ear of ministers on both sides. And we've got to break that nexus somehow.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it felt like uh, the coronavirus was a bit of a smokescreen for them because the media was so focused on on the virus and and the spread of the virus and and deaths and things like that that they, these other things could kind of get past and and a lot of people wouldn't notice. But you know the the planet. I
2: think it just it shows the the priorities really of the government and then. That- where their heart truly really lies. So in Victoria, we just had a session of a parliamentary committee where we could quiz the ministers on decisions that they'd made. And so what we quizzed them on was, well, you, the government actually has delayed a lot of environmental protection laws in Victoria saying that they can't do them because of coronavirus. And so they haven't been, they've delayed new EPA laws which would stop toxic waste stockpiling. They've delayed decisions on new national parks. They've delayed decisions on our emissions targets. They've delayed responding to the terrible state of the environment report, which shows we've got 120 species on the road to extinction. They've delayed all these decisions saying, sorry, we don't have time to make them. Our business can't have any more environmental laws burdening them at this time yet they found time to open up gas drilling across the state, to sign new forest agreements that exempt logging from environment laws. They've they've done things that, that are destructive to the environment but they haven't been able to find time to do the things that are safe and healthy for the environment. And so we quizzed them on that and they said, oh, well, it's just a matter of balance. Well, the scales are tipping towards supporting the fossil fuel industry and against the environment. I don't call that balance. That Mm -hmm. just shows that the government at a state level and at a federal level are not taking climate change seriously and that's why I'm there. It's why we've got people in the climate movement all around the country who are activating and organising to change this status quo that we have because if we can use this moment as an opportunity no-one would wish this crisis on even their worst enemy. We absolutely wish that coronavirus had never happened. It it's, hasn't been a good time for anyone. But now that it's happened, do we want to go back to the way things were completely, where we do have the fossil fuel industry running this country and this state, or do we want to create a, a better kind of normal? We all have realised now the things that we value. We value our family and friends. We value our health. And we value being able to go outside and enjoy our natural spaces now that we've all been locked inside for so long. So let's, let's actually value those things properly and invest in them and not just go back to the way things were, which was this dig it up, ship it out mentality.
0: Mm. Yeah, it, to me it seems that, and I think to a lot of people, uh, you know, the planet's had this reprieve, this kind of rest from, from human activity a little bit. And uh you know one if Australia is shut off from the from the global economy for a period of time, it shows that if we are growing our own food locally and supporting local like manufacturing jobs in in new technologies and things that actually help the planet rather than just, you yeah, like you said, blowing up the earth and and shipping and burning minerals, and mining's not going to go away you, you still need silicon and aluminium and things like that but if if we were if Australia was manufacturing its own quality products here employing Australians and and like I said growing our own food locally then we could stand alone if we were shut off from the global economy for six months or 12 months or whatever and it seems like now would be the perfect time to realize that and start directing the economy that way. Do you think that's right?
2: I think people have realised that the value of being a little more self-sufficient. Now, we don't want to cut ourselves off from the global community entirely. There's a lot of value in uh, global trade. There's a lot of value in global cooperation. We don't want to just become a fortress and, and put up our walls and, and yeah. cut ourselves off from the rest of the world. However, you're right in that people have have noticed the value in Maybe being able to manufacture things a little bit close to home for when we need them. Maybe being able to make sure that our food system is really secure here in Australia, which luckily we already do have quite a secure local food system. But a little bit more localisation. At my local nursery they were running out of seedlings and seeds and isn't that wonderful that people have had this resurgence in wanting to grow their own food and make their own sourdough and, and all of these things that, that feel very homely and wholesome to us and, and that are healthy and feed not just our stomachs but our soul as well. And I know personally I've enjoyed spending a lot more time in my little patch that I have in my tiny little backyard and honing my sourdough game. So that's one positive thing that's come out of a pretty terrible crisis.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that, like you said, the seedlings selling out and uh, bicycle stores, like you go into a bicycle store in the last month or so and there's like five bikes left because they've been sold out Mm. and people, you know, walking with their children and riding bikes with their children. And another thing that's been really great, I think, is people supporting local business, going and getting their lunch from the local cafe and uh, cafes and things, trying to adapt to the issue by selling uh, groceries and things like that as well and then people supporting mm. the businesses. So there's
1: yeah.
0: a feeling of community and, um, and family again from, from this and, and a forced, you know, stop and then kind of restart in your own community, which has been great.
2: Yeah I know my local area I just live in Kensington which is in the inner west of Melbourne and we live near a river and the number of people who are out riding bikes and walking along the river keeping their distance but having a lovely time and the local cafes have been doing quite well and the CBD's really been suffering which is really sad to see because people aren't going into the central district to work and and get their lunch and things but it means that our local cafes that people have perhaps overlooked when they've been going into the city uh, are doing a pretty good trade, and people getting to know each other again. People, I've never seen people so willing to, to stop and have a bit of a chat because they've got the time now.
0: And also, too, I guess this, like what we're doing now, a lot of people are having their their office meetings and things like that on on Skype and Zoom and things like that. So I wonder if that. Sydney to Melbourne is probably, I think it's the second busiest uh, air traffic route in the world. And I wonder if Mm. this issue now will will increase kind of meetings rather than flying down to Melbourne for the day for a meeting. You know, obviously that's, that's happened, but it does show that it's possible to do it this way as well.
2: That's right, it's nothing like a crisis to really shock us into a new way of doing things and I think we've all become experts in Zoom and online meetings and, and look, a lot of the time it, it can't replace face-to-face. I know I'm definitely missing seeing my friends and my kids' grandparents are missing seeing their grandkids, but I'm sure that we'll, you know, we've adapted so quickly and I'm sure that some of these positive habits that have come from the pandemic will continue
0: yeah just a a happy medium somewhere in in between perhaps Mm. and so I mentioned before that you you started off or you didn't necessarily start off but you were in the Australian Youth Climate Coalition and then you found your way into politics how how did that all happen Mm. you were obviously quite young and you had a passion for the environment where did that come from
2: so I grew Up in Mildura which is a town right in the northwest corner of Victoria on the New South Wales border and not far from South Australian border and it was a really pretty tight-knit community near the Murray River Uh, my dad worked in national parks I spent a lot of time out in out bush out in nature and had a real love for it but saw also a lot of the problems that were being created by drought by by over-irrigation, by us not respecting the river and our environment. And when I went to, I moved to Melbourne to go to university because there's no university in Mildura. And when I started learning about climate change, I realised that a lot of what I had experienced, the the problems with river and, and, and drying of the environment, was actually the new normal because of climate change. And that was pretty shocking to me. And I cared deeply for our land and I wanted to do something to fix it. And so I became a scientist because I thought that becoming a scientist was the way to fix it. And I worked in science for a while, worked at CSIRO for a while, but I realised that actually scientists had a lot of the answers already and Mm -hmm. scientists were doing excellent work, creating solutions and telling us what we needed to do to fix climate change. And the blockage was actually in the politics, in politicians not listening to the scientists. And so I became a a climate activist, if you will, helped start the Australian Youth Climate Coalition with some friends from Sydney and other friends from Melbourne. And we were trying to get young people to really rise up and tell their politicians that this this is about our future and we needed to do more. I also worked in the Victorian government for a while and realised that politicians, again, were really tied to the fossil fuel industry, the logging industry, and were not making decisions based on the best science. So I did that for a number of years, but and I think the work that environment groups and climate groups do is incredibly important. But sometimes it felt like we were banging our head against a brick wall because politicians were just so tied to fossil fuel industry interests and in 2010, the Greens actually got balance of power in both houses of parliament with Adam bant breaking through the lower house and Bob Brown and Christine Milne in the Senate. And that was when we got the carbon price which, with the, the Gillard-Greens agreement and we got $13 billion invested in renewable energy free dental care for kids. And it was such a step change in what had been terrible climate policy to all of a sudden having world-leading climate policy that I realised that. Being in a political party like the Greens, you can have such a big influence and essentially force governments to act. Mm -hmm. And so I noticed that happened in 2010. And then in 2014, the Greens needed someone to put their hand up to run in the seat of Melbourne. And and that's what I did. And we've had some pretty big successes. We, We got the Labor government to completely backflip and change their position on a huge Toll Road they wanted to build through the, right through the middle of Melbourne, the East-West Toll Road, that would have been incredibly damaging to local parks but also to, to the climate. And so we got them to backflip on that by putting pressure on them in the inner city. We got them to introduce a ban on plastic bags um, because they were under threat from the Greens. We started parliamentary inquiries which led to the, the Cash for cans scheme We're about to start an inquiry into how we can do more on renewables and also how we can end extinction in Victoria and we got them to introduce a renewable energy target after saying, no, no, it's not possible, it's not possible, we just kept up the pressure and eventually introduced a renewable energy target. So some some really Australia-leading policies coming out of Victoria in the climate and environment space because the Greens were in there pushing for them. So it's been a pretty successful five years mm. and it 's been good to to see the Victorian government make those announcements and and start to listen to the scientists
0: so it was basically just you're in the you 're in the uh, youth climate coalition and then there's a there's a, a chance to run in Melbourne and that would have been mm. a pretty massive decision wouldn't it i don 't know if I could handle mm. <laughs> sitting across the bench from from some of our finest politicians, but you know that's uh, a <laughs> it can't be easy, and that would have, for, for no, you.
2: No, yeah, it's not easy, and it it was a big decision. I'd, I'd left the Aycc, I'd done a few other jobs, and this opportunity came up. And I'm the kind of person who likes to go where they're most useful, and there are a lot of good people doing excellent things in the climate movement, and they're all needed. Mm. Uh, but this, the, the Greens needed a good candidate in Melbourne to stop the East West Toll Road and to get the government to agree to the ban on fracking, which we won, and the renewable energy target, and it wasn't going to happen unless we had the Greens in there running those campaigns. And so I guess maybe people say I'm a bit of a sucker for punishment, but I put my hand up because the job needed to be done, really. I never, ever imagined I would be a politician. When I was growing up, I didn't know any politicians, didn't have any people who worked in politics in my family but sometimes the job needs to be done and someone I guess just needs to be brave and put up their hand and and it was pretty hard the first couple of years particularly there was a lot of hostility even from the Labor government towards the Greens because we had won a couple of seats and they weren't happy about that mm-hmm. uh, and so there was a lot of reluctance for them to work with us and we just had to build up our campaigns and build up our power until they had no choice. And it can be really hard. The first the first year I was in there, the Labor government would put two older men in the chamber to yell through my speeches so that I would get put off. So every time I'd get up to speak, they would, they would bring them into the chamber and just sit on the back bench and just scream and yell the entire way through my speech so that I couldn't be heard. And that was, that was pretty disheartening and a pretty low form, I thought, but <laughs> you do have to have a thick skin. It's not for everyone, but the reward is the the change that we're able to achieve
1: mm.
2: and the the change for the climate and the environment. And I have my down days as well because I'm not getting the change that I want and that we still have. Victoria opening itself up to gas mining, for example. We still have the three dirtiest whole power stations in the country in Victoria. So I have good days where I look at the things we have been able to achieve, but then I have bad days when I look at the things we're still yet to achieve and that gets me down. But I think you just have to take one day at a time and try and do the the best that you can and hope that it's all adding up in the end.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, whether you're an environmental educator or a, a, a Greens politician or someone who is just you know working in their in their local area to plant trees or or grow food or whatever we probably all experience that up and down where sometimes we think we're we're getting somewhere and then you know you read the news or you or you look at Facebook or something like that and you see all it's just bad news after bad news and and it's, it's it can be very hard to stay more up than down sometimes, and I think, yeah. well, that's you know, that's I guess why I stepped up what I do as well because I was starting to get quite down. By you know, back in the mm-hmm. the Tony Abbott days, and the and you just see you know things getting worse. So mm-hmm. you know, and you you said those those winds are massive winds, and then those other things that you that like you mentioned the the brown power brown coal power stations are quite hard so how do you keep yourself up then you just know that you can't give up is that basically what keeps you up
2: a little bit yeah that's that's part of it I've heard people say that the best antidote to that worry and fear is action Mm. and I truly believe that I think that if you if you're worried about the state of the planet and all all sane people should be. Mm. If you're worried about the state of the planet, it's for good reason. Yeah. If you're worried, just sitting around and worrying, it doesn't make the world better but also doesn't do anything good for you either. Mm. And so the best way to get yourself out of that rut, rut is to do something that you feel like is making a difference and that might be something small like starting a community garden or volunteering at, a, at your local soup kitchen or it might be something bigger like, you're doing or like entering politics whatever you feel like the action is that you can take in your local area it will not only make the world a better place it will make you feel better about those worries as well and uh, there's a really great book that bob brown wrote a few years ago called optimism and i Mm -hmm. encourage anyone to read it because it's a beautiful reflection on on this very topic and Mm -hmm. he's saying essentially saying that you can't afford to just sit around and worry. You just, there's no time for that. What we need is action, and it will make you feel better as well as making
0: the world better. Yeah, I, I agree. And funny thing is Peter mentioned that book as well, uh, the book Optimism. Oh, really? Bob oh, Brown, yes. The
2: thing about the book too is that a good thing that, that Bob said to me and that's in the book is that, that there are people a lot of us who are the worriers, we sit around thinking we don't know enough and we're not good enough to do something uh, and we're not sure what the best thing to do is. Mm. But the baddies on the other side, the people in the fossil fuel industry or the, um, you know, the vested interests, they don't, they don't worry about that. They just go and do it. Mm. And so we're full, our movement is full of people who, who are worried about not getting it right and worried about not being perfect, whereas it doesn't matter. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to do the right thing. Just do the thing that you think will help and that it feels right to you and it will make a difference. Just sitting around and worry and not doing anything because you're worried about not doing the perfect thing, we've got no time for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. If you're a, a CEO of a, of a coal mining company or something like that, your message is clear. You know what you have to do. And it's pretty much to make more money. And like you said, because I have those conversations every day, like people uh, don't know what to, where to start and they don't know, mm. they know there's a problem, but then the problem, and I think especially with something like climate change that's so enormous, uh, people just, you know, they sort of go into their shell or ignorance is bliss if you kind of, try yeah. to shut it out a little bit then maybe you, you won't be so stressed about it but yeah we all just have to
2: and it is a big it's a big problem and I can understand why it makes anyone want to just hide under the duna and not get up up in the morning because it is such a big problem and I feel that too even in the position that I'm in I have days where I I feel like why can't I solve it and mm. what is wrong with me that I can't figure out a better way of doing things to Force the government to get out of coal. And I feel that failure. But that everyone feels that, I guess, is my message. And you can't let that stop you from taking one action. And if people don't know where to start, there are so many places to start. There's organisations, there's the AYCC if you're young, there's the Australian Conservation Foundation, there's your local community garden, there's just so many places. Just start with something. It might not be the right thing. You might not like it. That's fine. Leave. Go do something else. Mm-hmm. But it is all adding up. Um, there's a good quote that I heard, which is, no one can do everything but everyone can do something. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly believe that. Just have a crack. Join your local climate action group. Have a go. It doesn't matter if it's not perfect.
0: And I think we all have, like really, we all know what we're good at and, and we can all kind of embrace some sort of change in what interests us. So for some, some people might be interested in natural environments and the bush and so could get involved in a in a bush care group or a tree planting organisation. Some people it's food. Some people it's the ocean and, and the issue around plastic. Some people are like activism and, and like to get into some good, robust Discussions with with people that have an alternative view. So, you know, I think we've all got in us. We know something that we could do, and and if we just start, Mm. then then we're on our way. And then I I think we're that all those things are contributing to this to the big issue, which is probably beyond most of our thinking.
2: Mm. That's right. It's a strange time time to be alive, but. is the time that we've been given and we've got to make the best of it
0: a lot of this stuff's probably been going on for a long long time but but we are in a privileged position now where we actually uh we have that science and that knowledge behind us and and we don't just have you know a television with four channels or or even no television and and just getting little snippets of information now. The information is coming at us from everywhere and it's not that hard to get on your phone and Google something and there's just so many different areas where we can get information now. So I think we're probably more aware of the issue and if we do want to get involved in something, it's very easy for us to find out about it and all the groups and everything like that. That's right. You can imagine when the, when the Greens were started probably weren't that many options if you did want to get more of that information and figure out how you could get involved.
2: Mm, Yeah, the world, look, the world is a big complex place now and I think it's getting bigger and more complex, which is what makes a lot of people shut down because it's very hard to see how it's all interconnected. It's beyond any one person to see the whole picture, Mm. but this this idea that you can just act locally and you know that this relocalization I think is a good one because if you can do your bit locally and trust that everyone else is doing their bit then hopefully it will add up um, and when I say local I don't just mean only in your street I mean local to you might be entering state politics or it might be you know running a national organization or it might be running your local soup kitchen or your, or your local community garden everyone can do the bit that makes sense to them.
0: Yeah, that's right. We have here locally now. We have two greens councillors in our um, in our local government, and it's really great to see. Because I think, and I don't know this is if this is because I'm biased or not. Like I grew up in a in a labour family, I guess, and then probably formed my kind of opinions about politics later. I feel like the Greens often have the kind of bigger ideas, think outside the square a little bit more. I feel like the other two parties since, I don't know, probably since Bob Hawke was Prime Minister, have just been about following the status quo all the time and the the Greens are the ones that have the big ideas. And like when I spoke to Peter, you know, handles their finance portfolio among other things like OCEAN's, I think people also had this opinion that the Greens were just only about the environment and and they were all hippies and stuff like that and they couldn't be trusted with anything else. (laughs) But that's really not true. If we we do want to uh, grow as a country, we probably need these big ideas because if we keep doing what we're doing, we won't change. Mm.
2: And it was... People like Peter Wish-Wilson who were pushing for the Royal Commission into banking, for example, for such a long time when both Labor and the Liberals were saying, no, it's not necessary, no, it's not a problem, it's fine, it's fine, we don't need a Royal Commission and then everything came out about how badly the banks were treating people and the corruption and then all of a sudden we get a Royal Commission into banking. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, Christine Milne's bill to ban guns in in Tasmania, that's, that's the one that the... Howard's ban on semi-automatic firearms was based off. So there are these ideas that people don't often realise was actually the Greens were the reason these things happened and it's not just in the environment portfolio or the climate change portfolio. We do need different ways of thinking about our economic systems, about our food systems, about our social systems and now that we're in this crisis where we're starting to realise what is the most important to us, now is the time that governments have some space to make bold decisions and put forward bold ideas. But the problem is if if we're not there putting forward these bold ideas in the right direction, the the ideas that governments will pick up will be the ones of the people who are in the ear from the fossil fuel lobby, the logging industry, the bankers. They're in government's ear and if they're giving them easy solutions to get out of this crisis, they'll take them. So our role in this crisis as progressives, as Greens, is to put other ideas on the table. And that's what we've been doing. That's what Adam Vance has been doing in terms of putting forward this idea of a Green New Deal, of jobs guarantees for young people. Of We've been putting forward our ideas about how we could invest in a huge bush care program to create jobs and help the environment, how we could build a lot more public housing to deal with the homelessness crisis and the housing affordability crisis and create jobs. So that's, there's all these great ideas floating around it, and I hope that governments are bold enough to pick up ones that solve big social and environmental problems rather than just entrenching what was the status quo before the crisis.
0: Mm. Well, thank goodness for that. Things like public transport and, like you mentioned, bush care. I ran, ran bushcare here in Wollongong for about seven or eight years, actually. It's one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. One thing that interests me from outside of politics is things like the container deposit scheme and the banning of plastic bags. I'm also not a fan of plastic at all and, in fact, I made a documentary called The Peloton Against Plastic which was about small solutions to plastic pollution in Southeast Asia, which are also pretty much the same solutions that we use here. Why does it take so long for things like that to get up when they seem like absolute no-brainers for people on the outside? Is it vested interests
1: again?
2: Look, I think most of the reason why progress is held back is vested interest and in maintaining mm. the status quo, and that's what I've seen while I've been in politics. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just my uh, my experience. So, mm. for example, the why we didn't have a cash for cans scheme in Victoria, a lot of it was because the beverage industry, the Coca-Cola's of this world, and also the pubs and clubs um, and the the gambling industry, who owns a lot of pubs and clubs um, or, you know, is connected with pubs and clubs, were in the ear of government saying, don't do it, it will cost us more. And that's why we didn't have cash for cans. Whereas I think everyone looks at that and says, what a great initiative. It'll help us reduce litter. It'll help increase recycling and put money in you know, local scouts groups and and people who want to go and collect cans and make a bit of extra cash. It's just such a good public policy, but the reason it didn't happen is because of those vested interests. It's the same in a lot of different sectors. Logging in Victoria actually costs the government money, costs every taxpayer in Victoria money to log our forests. I think if people knew that, they'd say, that's crazy. Why would we be paying to log our own forests when we know there's more money and more jobs if we protect them and obviously a better outcome for our health and our environment. And it's because of the vested interests. And then governments and ministers who aren't brave enough to stand up to those vested interests and pop the, the little bit of criticism they'll get from them in making bold decisions. So, look, it's a bit of a mystery sometimes as to why we don't get political leadership on certain things I think it requires a few things. It requires bold, brave politicians, but it also requires people out there organising and coming together and agitating for change so that governments see that when they make big, bold decisions, they will be supported by the majority of people. They won't just get the criticism from vested interests, but they'll actually get support, and so it will be worth it for them.
0: Mm. Oh, there's so many things I want to talk about in what you just mentioned there. One would be recycling. The other thing would uh, is around logging. I went to the Tarkine a, a couple of years ago and that was one of the things that just blew my mind completely was that the logging industry in Tasmania was losing money and the government was propping it up. Mm. And then when you see the destruction, you know, it's not selectively taking one tree out to use for timber. It's flattening you know a football field of of forest and ferns and all the the animals that live in that area to turn a lot of the wood into pulp and some of those trees are several hundred years old it just I just couldn't get I couldn't get my head around why we would be doing something like that that's really and in Tasmania The uh, tourism and hospitality industry is something like 50% of their economy and logging is about 1% of their economy, but they're they're propping up the logging industry. And I I guess it's a historical kind of power play in Tasmania, but is it similar in Victoria? You mentioned it's losing. It
2: is, and, you know, Tasmania is particularly difficult, but in Victoria we we still have this logging um, even though we know it costs us a lot of money we know that it's sending species to extinction we know that also there's been some new research out lately that it this kind of logging actually makes fire risk worse so it's actually endangering us to do this logging because it dries out the forests and creates kind of dry scrappy food for fires to come through we know that it impacts our water supply because then when little saplings um, start to grow, they're sucking up a lot more water than an old-growth forest, which actually filters the water back into our system. So there's, there's a many, many reasons why it shouldn't be happening and only a few why it is happening, and that's that our politicians aren't brave enough to stand up to the vested interests. Um, and, yeah, that's it's sad to see that even a progressive Labor government here in Victoria is still logging our forests and still unwilling to do much about it. And it's been left up to community groups to go and, you know, chain themselves to trees or fight battles through the courts to try and get some of these precious areas protected. And that that's something that really keeps me up at night, figuring, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how we stop this destruction.
1: So
0: obviously, the protection of the forests and the species that live in them, and and you know, just that that crazy destruction is. To me, it seems like a no-brainer. Something that everyone should want to support, even even politicians who are beholden to vested interests that have children and grandchildren and things like that. Where is the the money? If they're losing money, is it to, is it just for pa- pulp for paper? And if so, no. why can't we move to alternate things like hemp, for example, for for paper no. production? Can we can we do something at the top end where we can? change where their, their industries uh, are getting their their income from. So they don't, they don't, that's what seems crazy to me. It seems like they don't actually mm-hmm. need to destroy a forest, but they're just kind of doing it as a kind of up yours to <laughs> the environmental movement. That's how it feels <laughs> from the outside.
2: Yeah, well, the truth is that they're getting these native forests for virtually no money, for virtually free, and so why would you invest in a plantation, whether it be a pine plantation or a eucalypt plantation or a hemp farm? Why would you why would you invest in that when you're getting this, this resource for free? And, yeah, you know, it'll probably run out soon, but, you know, you're making money in the meantime, so why would you invest in it unless the government said you absolutely had to? So that's the problem that we have is the incentives are all wrong and there are a few people making money, but the... Victorian people and taxpayer and government is losing money and just giving this resource away for free, and people are sick of it. Mm. Um, I'm sick of it, but we don't have politicians with enough courage to stand up against the small number of, kind of big corporations who are profiting from it. So, there definitely are alternatives, and there'd be even more alternatives if we had invested in plantations many years ago.
0: Mm. Yeah, and things like hemp, it grows. Well, that's why they call it weed, isn't it? It grows like a weed, and it um, it doesn't need chemicals and doesn't need a lot of upkeep, and then has a, a higher yield per uh, like square kilometer or something for for production of lots of different things.
2: That's uh, right. So it's, it's not a problem with with solutions. Like we actually asked to grow hemp in Victoria, which is a good thing. Um, it's the solutions are there. It's mm. This is the problem. It's the same with climate change. The solutions are there. We have renewable energy. It is becoming cheaper than fossil fuels. We do not need coal. Coal is unreliable. Renewables are much more reliable. So it's not a failure in the solutions. It's a failure in the political will. And that really brings me full circle to why I got involved in politics is that at my heart, I'd like to be an ecologist or a scientist, but Mm. actually the blockage of where we need people is in shifting the politics. because. The scientists we need great scientists and they're, they're already doing excellent work and telling us what we need to do it's the politicians that need to pull their finger out and actually listen to them
0: yeah I, I think I, I liken logging to to the fishing industry but we'll just keep taking taking it because we can right now and even if we have nothing in ten years we'll just deal with that then but you said that you when you entered Victorian parliament there was only one Greens member is that right and now there's three
2: yeah that's right
0: so what I wanted to lead to then is can because I want when you were explaining how simple the solutions are but really what's holding us back is our politicians lack of wanting to go to the solutions because of vested interests how do we get more people like you into politics then
2: (laughs) Um, Look, there's lots of opportunities and we are always looking for good candidates, whether that's with the Greens or um, whether people want to run as a progressive independent depending on their local area. There's lots of opportunities out there and it's not easy. It's not a guaranteed, you know, if you put your hand up to run, you're not always going to win. But actually there are a lot of places where we do need people and right now we're going into a local government election and you mentioned you've got two councillors in your area and actually local government is a great place for me- people to make a difference. Um, mm. We've got about 25 councillors, Greens councillors in Victoria and they're doing incredible work under the radar, things like getting more bike lanes built, getting community gardens funded, um, getting some more sustainable buildings built in their areas, more parks. Like just um, one of our councils was the first to declare a climate emergency and have started this movement around the world of, of councils committing to better climate policies. It's incredible the work they can do on the ground and I would encourage anyone just to look up how to run for your local council and Mm -hmm. get in touch with the Greens, give it a go. We need candidates at a state level, we need candidates at a federal level and not everyone's going to get elected but we need a lot of people to run in order to get some of them elected. Now, Mm -hmm. I encourage people to do it, particularly women, particularly people of colour, people who... Traditionally, definitely might not have seen themselves represented in our parliaments. Our parliaments will only be better if we have more people from diverse backgrounds getting involved in them. You don't have to have gone to uni and studied politics. You don't have to be a lawyer. In fact, there's enough of those kinds of people in politics. Mm. Let's get some people with different backgrounds and experiences in there and then maybe we'll be able to shake things up a bit.
0: Yeah, because I think that's where politics has lost its way in that, you know, a lot of the politicians, they're not, uh, they haven't come from a, you know, back in the day when I guess Bob Hawke was Prime Minister, they were union representatives and they'd they been working in industry or nursing or education or something and then made that progression into politics. Whereas now there's a lot of uh, professional politicians who study politics at university and then... Work as a staffer and then support someone else, yeah. and end up in That's right. we haven't actually done anything else except politics. And I think we need people to be. To, to me, it makes sense if if you're a an, an ex nurse or a doctor or something like that that you could be possibly running health for the state or the country. And same with yeah. you've got an environmental science degree and you're and or you've worked in. bush care or something and you're running the environment sector instead of someone who studied politics running health or education or environment just seems like that's that's insane so we definitely need more real people couldn't agree more and I guess with climate strikes the school's climate strikes and and people like Greta Thornburg there's got to be a lot more young people who are really fired up about these issues And, you know, if they're not being listened to by current politicians, that perhaps in the next, you know, four, eight, 12 years' time, they're going to be the next politicians.
2: That's right. Young people are rising with the the climate strikes. Um, But the problem is we don't just wait until young people can run things. Mm. Uh, The window of opportunity to act is now, so we're... Actually, need to take our lead from those young people who are putting themselves on the line with the climate strikes, and do everything in our power to protect the future for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good point. And also, uh, let's let's just talk about recycling a little bit. So, obviously, mm-hmm. the war—I suppose the ABC's war on waste. And then subsequent stories after that kind of show that Australia's and a lot of the world's recycling industry is not the best. And, uh, you know, while we should probably always be focused on reusing stuff rather than just relying on recycling, what's the state of recycling in, in Victoria and is there anything that you guys are working on down there to, to make it better?
2: Yeah, well, it's been awful, and uh, the crisis when China stopped taking the recycling that were dumping on them happened, uh, we, the Victorian government was left very flat-footed. They had no plan. Uh, all they did was give a bit of money to industry to take more recycling and essentially stockpile it. And so it was this huge crisis in recycling that the government just had no plan to deal with whatsoever. And so what we did in Victoria the Greens actually we used a slot in parliament to vote on an inquiry into the crisis and what Victoria could do to fix it and really the government didn't want us to do that but we managed to get the numbers to support that inquiry so we had this inquiry with government members on it Greens members opposition members to look into the crisis what we did wrong and how we could fix it and Then it made some recommendations for what government could do, which they then adopted. And that was things like the cash for cans scheme was one of the recommendations, which is great. Um, And some other changes to our recycling system, including giving everyone now four bins in Victoria, so a special bin for glass so that it's separated out and can be recycled more easily. So there's some really big changes because of that inquiry that we pushed through. And... The recycling industry is not perfect here in Victoria still. There's still a lot more we could be doing. For example, we still don't really collect our organic waste very well. That is an incredible resource that then could be used to made into industrial compost for parks and gardens and farms. We still don't do that and we need to. But I think that recycling is one of the big wins that we've had here in Victoria, that the Greens have been able to use our tactics in Parliament to get some real outcomes on it. And how ridiculous that the government all over the country, the governments hadn't seen this coming. It was very clear from the start that we weren't recycling properly and it was a system that was about to come crashing down. But again, governments just, they didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to acknowledge it was a problem. Then it took a crisis for it to come to a head.
0: Because even things like glass and steel and, and paper and things like that, they're still quite heavily reliant on price, aren't they? So if there's, if there's not the price, a lot of it doesn't get recycled. It just gets... Yeah,
2: well, there's, yeah, there's a few problems in, in Victoria, which I'm sure are the same around the country, which is one of the reasons things aren't recycled is because there's no market for it. Right? So mm-hmm. they could just get... Virgin product, So it's easier to make something out of just normal plastic rather than recycled, pl- recycled the plastic. Um, so one of the things the government needs to do is to put in place some rules and regulations that says these things have to have a certain percentage recycled material in them. So every time a council is buying a park bench, it has to be made out of recycled plastic. Every mm. time we build a road, it's got to have recycled tyres in it. Every time a bottle is made, it has to be made out of recycled glass. If they did that, then there'd be a drive in the market for more recycling because there'd be an end use for it. Now, that's one of the problems. There are lots of other problems. So, for example, glass, it's quite easy to recycle glass, but one of the problems is that it's been all mingled in with the paper and the plastics and everything's gotten contaminated. So that's why separating it out is a good idea. Um, So there's, there's different problems for different sections of recycling and it requires... A lot of different things to happen to fix it but we're on our way in Victoria.
0: Mm. Oh that's excellent I guess Laura well let's shift a little bit then and and talk a little bit about you so you can't you said to you some things keep you up at night forestry Mm -hmm. for example but you have to let your hair down sometimes. How do you spend any of your spare time, or are you always just being contacted to help us with this? And, you know, we need mm-hmm. to this. Can you, what can you do? Come to a meeting now? You must have some downtime.
2: I try to, and having two little kids definitely helps with that. Um, definitely keep you in the present and give you a time when you, you simply can't be working because you're hanging out with them. So, They're a real joy. I'm very, very lucky to have them. Um, And, of course, friends and family, And just like anyone else, hang out with my friends and family, uh, read books, watch movies, get out in the garden as much as I can, Uh, and I love to get out in nature. I love to bushwalk, I love to scuba dive. At the moment that's been a bit harder, being stuck inside in the city, but looking forward to when things warm up a little bit and I can get out back in nature again.
0: Yeah, so you have you have a backyard. You, you live in a house, not an apartment.
2: We uh, we're in a townhouse, so we have a little backyard, um, yeah. probably about six by eight meters, a little patch which I I try and grow as much as I can. We've got a pretty good passion fruit vine going at the moment, which is giving us a bit of fruit right now, and a few veggie boxes and a lemon tree. So I try and grow as much as I food as I can, um, but there isn't. A whole lot of
0: space. <laughs> yeah, sounds <laughs> like it. Is there, do you have any community gardens around there that you could get involved with if you had one? Yeah,
2: time? there is one. There is one just uh, around the corner from us actually, which is a beautiful place, but the waiting list is so long because everyone's so excited about it and everyone yeah. wants a plot there. Um, but there's the neighbourhood house has a bit of a herb share going on and. It's wonderful. And we also have this thing in Kensington, which I absolutely love, which is Kensington compost. And there's a group of local volunteers who've been able to convince the council to let them have compost bins in little bits of public space around the neighbourhood. So there's lots of little pocket parks in my neighbourhood and there's a walking track as well down to the river. And so in all these little pocket parks, there's a little corner that has compost bins in it. And everyone in Kensington knows about this and you can take your compost there because a lot of people do live in small houses or apartments and there are a group of volunteers who maintain that compost and then they just put it up on the Facebook group once it's ready and if you need it for your garden, you can come and collect some or they use it for the local primary school or for the community garden or for the train station garden uh, and it's incredible. And I think it's, it just started with a bunch of volunteers, no funding or anything, just their own labour and goodwill, and it's turned into something that the whole community really appreciates.
0: Wow, how good is that? So, are they are they actual right. bins, or are they just a little yep. a little divided thing, and you just tip your food scraps straight into it, and then someone comes?
2: No, actual actual plastic actual plastic bins. So it's usually three in a bit in a row, so one will be for compost that's on the go, one is closed and maturing, and one is for uh, coffee grounds or sawdust to put in once you put your compost, uh, put yeah. your sawdust or your coffee grounds in to make it work a bit better.
0: Yeah.
2: So they've got a really good system going. I love it. I'm always looking at the Facebook group to know when I can come and collect
0: some compost from the Yeah, that is awesome because there's certain, like, food scraps particularly in I think a lot of councils have that, Headache of how are they going to deal with with food waste, particularly if they're in an area where there's a lot of apartments or a lot of restaurants who you know would probably produce you know 200 liters or so of um, of food waste a week in their in their cafe or restaurant. Mm. And how does the council deal with it? That's a great way because there is so many little parks, and the councils you know they're upkeeping the parks anyway, so. If they had uh you know even uh even the the greenkeeper or something could just turn the compost over because they're not something that take a hell of a lot of time
2: people are certainly very passionate about it in my area
0: yeah yeah that's that's great too There's so much innovation and and people see a problem that that and like we mentioned before. Everyone has a, a different passion and, and their passion is obviously growing food and, and not throwing food scraps into landfill. And then these little innovations That's come up right. and people deal with it. If, if, if governments at, at all levels just listen to, to these little solutions, we can make things different, can't we? Absolutely. Yeah, very cool. Alright, well I'm guessing uh are you at work today or are you is this a day off for you? I
2: am. Oh, I'm working from home. Yeah. Okay. My so, team's working from home
0: at the moment. This is part of work. <laughs> or is this fun? Yep. <laughs> Both. Both. That's that's what I wanted to hear. That's good. <laughs> um yeah, well I guess I should probably let you go and, and do some some big work and uh I hope that people can, can learn a lot about what's going on and maybe even be inspired to become uh, a politician for the Greens. Thanks, or thanks for
2: having me.
0: Yeah, th- thanks I so much. Thanks for chat.
2: Wonderful.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Fair Food, Forager, and Friends Show. I hope you got something great out of it. Please download the Fair Food Forager app and start sharing your knowledge or learning from others. It's growing every day now, so be an early adopter and support an ethical and responsible alternative to social media. Music is by Ash Grummold. This is 180 from his album Troubles Door. See you next time.